0: I'm your host, Amanda Dave. I'm podcasting from the home of the College World Series in Warren Buffett, Omaha, Nebraska. This is a pediatrician in training podcast, a resource for medical students and residents, and I'm your host. Just a brief introduction. I am a first year pediatrics resident at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. I went to Tulane University in New Orleans for my undergraduate degree in neuroscience and anthropology. I also received a master's in neuroscience from Tulane. I received my medical degree from Creighton University School of Medicine. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to email at amandameraldave at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, this is Amanda coming to you from Omaha, Nebraska, uh, with another segment of a Pediatrician in Training. So today we're gonna cover pediatric pain management. Uh, Some categories of pain include somatic pain, visual pain, visceral pain, and neuropathic pain. Pain management has got to consider uh, biologic and psychological as well as social factors. So I'm sure you all have experienced this where a kid is seemingly fine, but when mom gets agitated, then kid gets agitated. Uh, And description of somatic pain. So that's caused by injury or inflammation of tissues. Some examples of this include burns, lacerations, fractures, infection, or inflammatory conditions. When there's a somatic injury to skin or superficial tissue, the, it's a sharp, pulsatile, and well localized pain, versus a deep uh, somatic injury will cause an aching, pulsatile, or non localized pain. Visceral pain is pain from injury or inflammation to the viscera. So, examples of this include angina, bowel distension, or hypermobility, pancreatitis, hepatic distension. Kids will describe this as like an aching or cramping pain. It's non pulsatile and poorly localized. I always like to describe this as. When a kid's like, oh my gosh, my belly hurts, and it's non-specific and it's, you can't localize it. It's more of a visceral pain. Uh, neuropathic pain is uh, due to injury to the, uh, or inflammation to the peripheral nervous system or the central nervous system. Some examples of this include complex regional pain syndrome, phantom limb, uh, Guillain-Barre, or sciatica. One of the best ter- tricks I've learned uh, in diagnosing complex regional pain syndrome is when a kid has had injury to a site, or a location and then just simply touching the skin uh, on the surface of that area causes discomfort. Pain that's neuropathic in origin will be uh, either burning, shooting, hyperalgesia, dys- Um So these are the different ways to kind of differentiate the two. When it comes to interviewing or assessing pain in the pediatric population, uh, it's, you're gonna ask about character, location, quality, duration frequency intensity. These things you do with adults as well obviously, but with kids it's going to be a little different because they're not as able to well localize pain. Um, You can also use autonomic measures such as if they're tachycardic or if they're tachypnic or if their blood pressure is elevated those are kind of things that'll point you in the direction that they're in discomfort. Obviously with little kiddos that can't talk yet they're not gonna be able to tell you oh this hurts they're just gonna be screaming and crying and tachycardic. Some scales for assessment uh, in the older population, so ages 4 and older, include the Faces Scale, the Visual Analog Scale, which can be used in ages 6 to 8 and older, and the Likert Scale, which is used to 6 and 8 and older. For newborns and infants, some ways you can kind of assess whether they're in discomfort or pain is their facial expressions, whether or not they're crying, their body movements are a little bit weird. Those autonomic vital signs that I described previously may be nonspecific, but they could be an indication of pain. An older kid, so like 3 to 7-ish, will tell you the intensity, the location, and quality of their pain. Um, They can sometimes give you a numerical pain rating or use those FACES scales. Now, in the cognitively impaired uh, population, it's harder to assess. So, um, There might be maladaptive behaviors and reduction in function that can indicate pain. So examples of this are a kid who uh, previously had hit certain milestones and has kind of reduced in function that may indicate that they're in discomfort. Things you can do with any of these kids, either a newborn, older child, or someone who's uh, a variable agent, cognitively impaired, you can always try cuddling and feeding to see if that alleviates the pain right off the bat. Some uh, pharmacologic interventions. I'll start off with acetaminophen or Tylenol. That can be given orally, so PO, IV, or rectally. Uh, Remember that rectal uh, PO or uh, IV Tylenol is kind of expensive, so be careful when you're prescribing it. Uh, overdosing of acetaminophen can produce uh, fulminant hepatic failure and then there's little an- anti-inflammatory action. There's no antiplatelet or adverse gastric effects in acetaminophen. For NSAIDs, uh, this can be used for pain and fever management. Ketorolac is available IV or intranasal for those unable to swallow PO. And The overall incidence of bleeding with NSAIDs is low, but in terms of overall or most common cause of mortality with NSAIDs, gastric bleeding is that most common cause. Aspirin, so that inhibits platelet adhesiveness and is used in the management of Kawasaki's disease most commonly. There has been a decline in use overall uh, due to concern for Ray syndrome. With respect to opioids, uh, this is a hot topic, so I'm going to go into it, but I'm not going to go crazy on it um, because a lot of this will be specific to your institution and where you're training. So the different forms of administration are orally or PO, rectal, oral transmucosia, transdermal, intranasal, IV, epidural, intrathecal, subcutaneous, or intramuscular. So there's a lot of different ways to administer opioids. Uh, Historically, just to give you guys a little bit of context, so it's derived from that opium poppy or it's synthesized to similar structure and mechanism of action. The indications for opioids include moderate and severe pain, uh, acute postoperative pain, sickle cell pain crisis, or cancer pain. So the dosing should be titrated and individualized for the patient. The right dose is what relieves the patient with patient's pain with good margin of safety, uh, frequency to prevent pain, return prior to next dose. So basically what you want to do is you want to give that opioid frequently enough that if the kid's in severe pain, you're giving it so that they don't have pain prior to the administration of the next dose. Uh, sometimes a PCA pump or continuous confusion can be prescribed to avoid PRN making. So it gives it takes a little bit of the uh, drive to have to write in every time a kid needs a PRN for opioids and kind of allows that kid a little bit of structure and pain management on their own um, morphine hydromorphone or fentanyl are some examples of opioids fentanyl is the first p- choice for severe pain now remember some of the adverse uh, effects of opioids include respiratory depression nausea vomiting itchiness and constipation and urinary retention uh, so i'm going to go into a little bit about some unconventional analgesic medications including antidepressants uh, anti-epileptics and neurotrophic drugs depending on your institution and the attending they might uh, throw some of these in they're not necessarily fda approved for pain management but some providers have found really good results so just be aware that that's something that might come up on rounds something i think is pretty cool and i'm just going to discuss briefly is non-pharmacologic treatment of pain uh, the pediatric emergency cases podcast did a really good job in his pain mo- management module um, describing some of the non-pharmacologic treatments of pain Basically with kids, like you're gonna have to use pharmacologic intervention in some cases, but uh, if you can use other modalities, that might be better for the kid. So some things you can do include distraction, yoga, massage therapy, acupuncture, hypnosis and imagery, as well as physical therapy. So these things can kind of shift the attention away from pain and alter pain perception. This is not just specific to the pediatric population. These modalities can be used in the adults as well. Uh, but with kids, you know, if you can avoid medication use, uh, it's pretty good CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is used for chronic pain. So that, uh, modifies social and environmental factors. It gives you new ways to think about pain. Now with use of pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic intervention for pain management, parents and families should always be educated about the different, uh, tools in our tool belt, as well as different options available, be it pharmacologic or non-pharmacologic parents and patients should be included in that discussion so that, uh, they are part of the the, uh, decision-making process. Okay, I hope you all appreciated this uh, brief introduction to pediatric pain management. I'll come back later on in the year and kind of go back into it further in detail. Uh, Remember, if you have any questions, comments, or you'd have suggestions for topics, please feel free to email me at amandamerildave at gmail.com. This has been a pediatrician in training podcast.